Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Grit True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the personal, contemporary kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. We are nearing the end of season number three, dedicated to grit talks and the best of. And today, we have got eight stories from the 99-second Grand Slam season six. From this past Sunday, a whole bunch of great stories. It's always challenging to select which ones I want to use on the podcast. Today, I have chosen five storytellers, a total of eight stories by Tracy Starin, our Grand Slam champion, Carolyn Erickson, Angela Combest, Brian Nassimak, and Erica Bloomfield. And each of them have an entire story with a beginning, middle, end, and with change and all kinds of other things in at most 99 seconds. So I hope you enjoy these tellers and their stories. As always, check the show notes for upcoming events including the Mental Health Happyish Hour open mic, which is still virtual. I hope you can join us to tell a story or to listen to some of these bold and badass tellers. Okay, Tracy, Carolyn, Angela, Brian, and Erica, let us dive in. We're walking down the street on a crisp fall day. The sky is bright blue and the leaves have just started to turn. We're chatting about nothing in particular, and out of the blue, he says, Do you think the universe is out to get me? Without breaking stride or missing a beat, I reply, no. There's a palpable moment of silence. But he continues, sometimes I really think the universe is out to get me. And I stop, I turn to him, and I take him by the shoulders. I look in his vacant eyes, searching for the person who I know is there but who I can't find right now. No, I say, that is not real. And we turn and we continue walking. Be careful, he says, the curb is coming up. We walk hand in hand. He guides me because my eyes don't work very well. And I am guiding him because right now his mind is not working very well. And we support each other. He walks me past a particularly treacherous part of the sidewalk and he warns, be careful, the road is rocky up ahead. And he squeezes my hand, but we'll get past it. Yes, we will, I say. And we keep walking. I love words. I always have. But sometimes people say words that are just so wrong. I was leaving a 26-year-long marriage, and it felt like I was sawing my arm off to save my life. And my friends said all these consoling words. Your husband will be okay. Your children will forgive you. You're going to meet somebody new. Life is good. Oh, really? So I drove across the river to the yoga studio and I stood in the back corner and I learned poses while crying. 
I like it here. Nobody knows me. Better yet, nobody talks to me. And Jeannie, the yoga teacher, she adjusts my poses without commenting on my crying. I come three times a week. And after a while, I notice that the people in the studio are saving the corner for me. It's my space. And now I'm crying less. And now I'm focusing on my poses more. And today, I held the tree pose for one minute each leg, no wobbling. And at the end of the class, we are all on the floor, me and these people who gave me silence and space. I can feel us all breathing. I can hear my own heart. I don't need consoling words. I never did. little while the rest of us were eating our drumsticks and the other good parts of the chicken my grandmother would sit there and she would pick tiny bits of meat from the backbone and she insisted that it was her favorite part once my family took a day trip and we decided to splurge and bring a coconut pie back from one of those spinning carousels at a diner we cut it into pieces and someone took a bite the baker had forgot to put in the sugar My grandmother took all the pieces and she put them back in the tin. And over the course of the week, she ate the entire pie because you don't let food go to waste. A few years ago, my mom came to visit and she brought me a present, the most beautiful dark green acorn squash that my 90-year-old grandma had grown in her garden. I set it on the counter. For weeks, I looked at it. For weeks, I did not cook it. As it grew hard and dry and hollow, And then I put it in the trash, which is the worst thing that I could have possibly done in her eyes. But if I had cooked it, it would be gone in a day or two. But I had it on my counter for weeks. And for weeks, it felt like my grandma was in my kitchen with me. And so when she asked me how the squash was, I said that it was perfect because it was, because there's more than one way you can feed a person. from work and find out my ex-wife-to-be has moved out and has taken our little white Maltese schmutzy to our next-door neighbor, Bernice, who's kind of deaf and elderly. But she's a lovely woman, and she says she'll take care of my dog anytime I want. So every morning before I go to work, I take the dog over to Bernice's and I pick her up every night. And I keep doing that even after I stop working because I can see they have a lovely bond. They've got a fabulous friendship. And over the months, the same thing happens with me and Bernice. The three of us walk together. I take her around the corner to the greasy spoon for lunch. I do her shopping. And she has no family, really, so she asks me to be her power of attorney. And the three of us form a little family. She's the Gentile grandmother I never had. It's five years later, and Bernice has a stroke, and I have to take her to the hospital. The next day, Schmutzy is beside herself. She's anxious. There's no friend around and she stops eating. And a day after that, I take Schmutzy to the vet. And for a week, I'm going back and forth seeing both of them. Friday at noon, I'm holding Bernice's hand when she passes away. 
Saturday at three o'clock, Schmutzy's kidneys fail and we put her to sleep. I cry. I've lost two of the closest characters in my life. The funeral happens and it's an open casket. And I bring this beautiful picture of Schmutzy with me. I put it in the box next to Bernice because, really, the two friends should spend eternity together. Thank you, Tracy in New York, Carolyn in Mexico, Angela in Massachusetts, and Brian up in Ontario, Canada. Next up, Erica out in California, and Second Stories by Angela, Carolyn, and Tracy. Let us dive in. I'm nine years old. My happy place is Camp Pine Forest, an overnight camp in the Poconos. I love the activities and being away from my parents. My parents. They put me on my first diet when I was seven years old. They pack me slim fast shakes for lunch. And they say, if I'm fat, a man is never going to love or marry me. The only thing I hate at camp is swimming. I'm already ashamed of my body, even though I'm only nine. It's torture having to be in a bathing suit in front of all the girls. And then at my happy place, I'm blindsided. A big camp announcement is made. There's going to be a swim meet and it's going to be co-ed. I will have to be in a bathing suit in front of all the boys. It's the day of the meet. The pool is packed. I keep my towel wrapped around my body like my security blanket. It's finally my turn. Wanting no one to see my body, I keep my towel wrapped around me till the very last second. The race is off to a start. I'm frantically swimming all I want to do is be wrapped back up in that towel, my body concealed. And just when I think I can't possibly take one more stroke, I feel the wall. I had made it back and I had won in record time. I stand there, my towelless body exposed, taking in the sound of the boys and girls. Are they laughing? No, they're cheering. They're cheering for me. Portugal, taking literally thousands of pictures that will remain on my phone. I walk into a used bookstore to find some old postcards. And as I'm going through the box, I come across a picture of a girl. She's hauntingly beautiful. She is staring off into the distance. I flip over the the picture and I see that she's priced at 10 euro. I think about it, but I put her back in the box. I go home and I can't stop thinking about her. I wonder how she ended up in this box. How did she get separated from her family? Why doesn't anybody want her? I think about her so much that a few days later, right before I'm ready to leave Lisbon, I go back to the bookstore to see if I can find her. And I do. And so I hand the man a 10 euro note and I take her home. I don't like posing for pictures myself, but there might be some out there of me at some point. And I wonder if someday somebody's going to walk into a used bookstore and maybe there will be a picture of me and maybe they'll take me home and wonder how I got separated from my family, too. (laughs) 
I've always thought of myself as a loyal friend, but maybe not so much. I'm standing in my friend Loretta's living room holding a jacket that she wants to give me before she moves to assisted living in another town. I don't like the jacket. It's pink. It's fitted. It's got gold bling. It's not me. And lately, I'm not very fond of Loretta either. She was my first friend when I moved to this town, and we walked and laughed and read literature. But now her knees are bad, and she's in pain. And she wants me to come see her more and more and more. But when I get there, she only wants to hear gossip and bad news. Anyway, she's moving, and I'm relieved. Right now, she's walking slowly across the floor, and she gets closer to me, and she says, you know, I saved that jacket just for you. Suddenly, I am so tired. I don't really want the jacket. And what happened to my friend Loretta? Where is she? Well, she's standing in front of me. Her lined face shows age and pain and maybe the knowledge that this is her last trip. She's 86. She's still Loretta. She was my friend. I know, I know that I can't be the friend she needs, but I can take the jacket. And I do. I watched with fascination as Miss Herman opened the mini fridge that I didn't even know was under her desk and pulled out a brown paper bag lunch that looked remarkably like mine. In sixth grade, there was nothing more enviable than being invited to have lunch with the teacher in the classroom while the rest of the class ate in the cafeteria. It was only for special occasions, and today was a very special occasion. She pulled a chair close to her desk so that we could have our little cold cut sandwiches on white bread together. We chatted about our classwork, and she gossiped with me a little bit about the teachers, and we talked about the monumental thing that was happening today. She even shared her chips with me. I was ecstatic. I thought this is what it must be like to be an adult having lunch out with friends. This was my reward for all the extracurricular activity I had done throughout the year and for being so interested in science and space that semester. At the right time, she wheeled the big AV cart out and turned on the television and pulled up a chair next to me. And we counted down. And then we watched Space Shuttle Challenger blast off. It was so exciting. She grabbed my hand and we watched with wonder and amazement as six astronauts and one civilian teacher floated off into space until 73 seconds later when Space Shuttle Challenger burst into flames before our very eyes and plummeted back to Earth. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to our storytellers, Tracy, Carolyn, Angela, Brian, and Erica. Appreciate your stories, letting me use them here on the podcast. Thanks for participating in the Grand Slam. And that is, of course, also extended to everybody who was involved, both tellers and audience. Check the show notes for upcoming events. And we are nearing the end of season number three, a handful more of episodes. And then we've got some exciting stuff on the way as we enter late summer and into fall. I shall keep you posted on that, but for now, 
it will be a surprise. And that is all for episode number 92. Boom.